Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just being able to sit under that song and to sing along with it and imagine how magnificent and powerful of a moment that must have been when Mary gave birth to her son. Knowing as much as she did about him and how special he was going to be, she didn't have a clue as to how how amazing her life would be and how much hope this little baby boy would bring to this world. So Lord, I pray that we would be moved with emotion and with uh, gratitude tonight, knowing that you have done something marvelous and it's not something that just happened a long time ago and, and we remember it like a story, but it's something that has happened a long time ago that still impacts our lives in massive ways today. Stir our hearts with your spirit and as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way that would cause us to look at you with a sense of awe and wonder tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite Johnny to come and read scripture this evening. Tonight's scripture is found in Mark chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And upon hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a young boy, there was this catalog called Sears Catalog. We didn't have the internets back then. The internet. Okay. So they didn't, we didn't have that back then. And so there was this huge catalog. And it had this section that had all these NFL jerseys and, um, and, f- and football helmets. So little boys, we dreamt about getting our favorite team's helmet, jersey, and these plastic little shoulder pads that go underneath them, the pants and the socks. You had to get your own cleats, evidently. But I couldn't wait. And it was, it was, I couldn't think of anything else I wanted more in my life than a 1984 or 5 San Francisco 49ers jersey and helmet for my Christmas present. And with anticipation, I just could not wait for Christmas morning because I just had a good inkling that, you know, I was going to get that because I was a pretty good kid that, that year. And so I was hoping that with uh, all I had that I would get that jersey and helmet that morning. I remember opening the package, and I remember seeing the helmet, and it was overwhelming. 
I was so excited. I couldn't wait to put it on. I didn't care about anything else. I was focused in on this one thing, and I zipped out of there, ran to my room, and I changed, and I put it on, and I came back out, and I looked boss. It was so amazing. And for the, quite a while, I played and I played with that, and I would just imagined I would be on the field. I was Joe Montana, you know, and I was throwing the touchdown passes actually to myself uh, as Jerry Rice as well. So, you know, I had a, quite an imagination as a boy. And so it was, it was an amazing experience. It really was. It was surreal. I have no idea where that helmet and jersey, where they are today. I have no idea. And it, it, it just made me, makes me realize when I think about things that used to be so important to me that my life was consumed by them. And now I really don't care <laughs> where that is. But then it meant so much to me. I feel sometimes Christmas does this to us. We start focusing on a lot of different things, but are the things that we're focusing on, relationships, jobs, presents, the new iPhones, the new Android, whatever it is that we're looking for, are the things that we're seeking and searching for and placing so much energy on, are they going to be enduring qualities or possessions that will stand the test of time? Are the things that are devastating us today worthy of causing us angst and bitterness? Or are they things that we've placed too high up on our list of priorities? Tonight we're talking about how Christmas cures ingratitude. I do remember other Christmases where I didn't get what I was hoping to get. And it was very hard to be grateful for the things that my parents were able to get for me. Who knew it would be so hard for them to purchase a UFO for me that would actually take me to outer space? I don't think I was being that ridiculous. However, as a parent now, I realize sometimes my expectations were a little too high. Christmas cures ingratitude. One of the things that someone told me about Christmas or, or about being a pastor, it says one of the greatest things that you can teach your people about yourself is this. And I, I really almost just, in my mind, just pulled up next to them with a, you know, a very attentive spirit and just could not wait for them to tell me what it was. What secret, what is it that you really want every pastor to let their people know about them. What is this one thing? If you could tell them one thing, what is it? So I pulled in, I listened, and here's what he said. Tell them, make sure they know that you, as the pastor, are not a theoretical sinner. So one of the greatest things a pastor can say to you is, look, I am not a theoretical sinner. It's not something in theory, but I am also a sinner. I have a problem with sin. In fact, we talked a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned the the fight I was in, and the guy was on top of me. There was nothing I could do to, to rescue myself. But that's the way sin is over us, that we have no power over this force of sin. There's a tendency for people who are not clergy to have wrong assumptions about pastors and ministers. Some think they're not real sinners. They're not, you know, they're not like me. They're different. They don't sin like other people or like I do. You know, all Christians are to aspire to live lives of holiness and devotion to the Lord. Yes, but pastors, we should understand our people too. 
and they live in the same dark and the same tempting world. Another mistake that we have when we look at pastors, and I do the same thing with other pastors as well, is that sometimes we find out that they're not as perfect as we thought they were, and we lose respect or reverence for them because the expectations and hopes that we had for them are not met. Some people, they give grace to everyone else, but not to the pastor. So tonight, as we look at Christmas, I want us to understand uh, three ways that, that God will cure ingratitude in our hearts. The first way we're going to see is that Jesus forgives sin. That's number one. There we go. Jesus forgives sin. I am not a theoretical sinner. The greatest need I have in my life is forgiveness. That is the greatest need that I have. You are not a theoretical sinner either. The greatest need you have in your life is forgiveness. Look with me uh, before uh, Johnny read in Mark chapter 2, verse 14. There's a story in the beginning of Mark chapter 2 that we need to look at before we get back to 14 through 17. And we'll look at verse 1 and following. So look with me in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 and following. It says, and this is Jesus, when Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And Jesus was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic. Paralytic is someone who cannot walk. He was carried by four men. Being unable to get him, uh, get to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof. Now, this is quite a spectacle, right? They removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Keep that up there. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, we may just read through this and think, man, that's really good. But imagine for a moment that you're in that setting. Maybe you're one of those friends who brought the paralytic, and you've worked your tail off to get him there. I mean, it's hard. The paralytic, he was a big guy. I don't know if he was or not, but just assume he was. Four men were carrying him. So you're, either way, they're going up, they're digging a hole, and they lower him down, and they're expecting, why did they bring him to Jesus? They're wanting him to heal him so he can walk. They, they, narrow, they lower him down, and Jesus sees him, and his first thing that he says to them is, your sins are forgiven. I feel like if I had been there, and I was expecting Jesus to heal him so he could walk again, and he said, your sins are forgiven, I would respond something like, um, uh, okay, <laughs> but... That's not really why we're here. We're expecting something quite different. They brought him there to be healed. But Jesus was telling the paralytic, and he was telling those with him and the others around him, that you think this is your greatest need. You think that if you were able to walk again, that everything would be fine, and that you would have all you need. You think that your problems would be fixed. But you're wrong. That's not your biggest problem. His biggest problem wasn't the fact that he was paralyzed. His biggest problem was the fact that he needed to be forgiven. 
And it's good to know that Jesus did heal him. He wasn't using him as a point in a cruel way. But he did heal him. But he was letting the people know that your biggest issue isn't the physical issue that you're going through right now. Your biggest issue is that you have sin and it's not reconciled. And you need to be forgiven. Sometimes we can object to this and especially if we've gone through something in our lives where we have gone through abuse. And maybe people have abused us and you think, well, what about me? You're telling me that the biggest thing in my life is I need to be forgiven after all I've been through, after everything that's happened to me, I need to be forgiven. Are you kidding me? Is that what you're saying? Is that what Jesus is saying? Are you telling me that my healing is not as important as me being forgiven of my sin? And the answer would be yes. Your greatest need also is to be forgiven. There's a quote I heard, and there's too many people that could take claim for it, so just credit me if you like it. It says this. It says, Bitterness is like drinking a poison and waiting for others to die. And it's used for other things as well, but bitterness is like drinking a poison and then waiting for others to die. If you're going through a season of life or, or, or not understanding what sin is and you are holding on to bitterness towards people because of what they have done to you, as right as it is to be hurt and offended and uh, by what they've done, for you, done to you, bitterness will kill you. And Jesus is saying, if you can't learn how to forgive even those who have persecuted and abused you, then you're going to lose again. You can't forgive others if you think you're superior to them. You can't go through life and be freed from your own sin and be able to forgive others if you think you're superior to them. The gospel places everyone at the same level by showing us that we are condemned before God. The biggest way that we are blind to our own sinfulness is when we are suffering from self-righteousness. You may say, you know what, I would, I would never have done what someone did to me. I would never be like those people. I would never do what they did. And that might be very true. However, there are sins in your life that condemn you before God. Just as much as what they have done. In fact, the very statement that says, I would never do what they did exposes a pridefulness in our hearts. If you say, I would never be like them. They're bad people. I'm not like them. What you're doing is saying, I'm actually a good person. They're not a good person. You're comparing your life to the life of another sinner. But your sin is ultimately not against another person. Your sin is not measured by how well you do compared to other sinners. Your sin is compared to how do you measure up when you stand before a holy, righteous God. When you stand in his presence, how do you measure up against him? We miss this a lot. We're ungrateful people many times. It's very easy to go down the the road of, of looking at what we don't have or what we could have if this didn't happen. But when we understand that Jesus forgives sin... It stirs our heart to be grateful. 
It reminds us that I was condemned before a holy God, and he has released me from that. And it stirs me to be grateful. So the first thing tonight about how Christmas cures ingratitude is that Jesus forgives sin. The second one is this. Jesus is compassion. So he forgives sin, and he is compassion. Not just has it, but he is compassion. So he healed the man, right? He said, I forgive you, but he didn't stop there. He actually healed him. He forgave his sins, and he healed him in the biggest way in front of everyone so he could prove that he had the power to do so. He healed him so people would see and believe. We'll pick up the story back in verse 6. Verse 6. Here we go. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. And this is pretty cool because Jesus had the ability to see into the, the thoughts and, of what other people were thinking because of his great power. So some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man, Jesus, speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, He said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up. The paralytic got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and they were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What an amazing display of compassion that God had for this man. He forgave him, but he also showed compassion because forgiveness is vital to this man. He needed this in order to live, but he also was asking and had faith for physical healing. And God did this to prove not only that he could forgive sins, but also that he was a compassionate God. So now we're moving down the road of the story, and we're starting to see the heart of God. The series is talking about motivated. What was it that motivated God to come to earth and rescue us? And in verse 16, we'll pick up down there again. So the scribes and the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating. Verse 16. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Now, sinners are the irreligious Jews, are the ones that weren't following protocol religiously. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sinners. They use the word healthy right here, if you'll keep that up there. It says, those who are healthy. The irony here is that the ones he's speaking of here that claim to be healthy are actually not healthy. Pridefully, they are denying their need for a Savior through their blinded, or blinding self-righteousness. So pride is what separates us from God. Pride says, I don't need you. I'm a good person. Or I don't believe in you. Or I don't need you for whatever reason. You make yourself the center of your life. Pride separates us from God. If you're living a life of ingratitude, I think it's simply because 
You've forgotten how damned you were before the grace of Jesus found you. If we're living a life where we don't appreciate what God has done for us, we have just forgotten that we were condemned. We were sentenced. We were guilty as sin. And nothing we can do about it. But with great compassion, Jesus has gone toe-to-toe with your prideful heart and my prideful heart. And he's won that battle. But are you celebrating that victory? Are you celebrating the victory that God has given you over sin? On a daily basis, are you remembering what Christ has done for you and giving him thanks and awe? On a daily basis, a moment-by-moment basis, every morning is Christmas morning for those who belong to Christ. Every morning is waking up realizing, I have everything. I have Jesus. I have life. I was dead, but now I'm alive in Christ. And here's the thing. The ones who don't think they need the grace of God need it more than anyone else. If you think you don't need Jesus, then you're worse off than the worst person you can think of right now. The worst sinner you can think of is not in as bad a position as you are if you think, I don't need Jesus. There's another account of this same story where we get a little more detail in Matthew. Mark was the the first and the oldest gospel, and it's believed that Matthew, Luke, and John had that with them and and knew of it and added some extra details. And uh, it does make sense as far as examining the scriptures go. But in Matthew, there's an added detail, and I'll read that in chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. So it's the same story. So when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors, the people that everybody hates, and the sinners, the people that all the good people talk about behind their back? When, the, when Jesus heard this, he said, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. And then he adds this, but go and learn what this means. I desire what? Compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is compassion. Jesus shows compassion to all who admit, Jesus, I need you. I need you to rescue me. Two ways to, that Christ or Christmas cures ingratitude is that Jesus forgives our sin and that Jesus is compassion. And the third one is this. We go or we transform from sinner to saint. This is really good news. Good news has to start with bad news. The good news is uh, you're basically dead and there's nothing you can do about it. That's the bad news. But the good news is look at what God has done for you. God takes us from sinner to saint. And we see a wonderful case of this. If you're ever thinking that, you know what, I'm, I'm really not a good person or if you're thinking uh, that maybe you've done too much in order for God to forgive you, there's a great example in the Bible we're going to look at right here. Also, if you're thinking that you know someone who's done too much to be out uh, and, and probably can't receive grace from God, this is a great example for your heart to be reminded that that's not the case. There's a guy who was named Saul who used to kill Christians. It was his mission in life, his goal in life, to go around and stamp out this revolution to where people were following this Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, what good ever came from Nazareth? 
And so they're, they're trying to stamp it out, and they're killing Christians who are preaching this gospel, this, what they consider to be a false gospel, and his name was Saul. Well, this Saul met Christ on the road to Damascus in a, such a powerful way that sometime later, God gave him a new name and named him Paul. And this person who was so evil became from a sinner to a saint and wrote about half of our New Testament. From sinner to saint. In this, one of his letters he was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, we read this part of his letter. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. This is what Paul wrote. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this was a, a wicked man before Christ. He did evil things. In fact, he was present at the, the stoning of one of the faithful men of God named Stephen in the book of Acts. You can read about that. He was there and approved of the fact that they took Stephen out and they stoned him to death. And this is such a gruesome thing. They would pick up stones and they would hit them with them until they stopped breathing. This is who Paul was. Paul said, what they just did is a good thing. And now he's saying, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, See, he thought he was doing God's thing when he was having people stoned to death and, and killed and put in prison. He thought he was doing a good, good thing, but he was actually acting against the God that he loved, that he thought he loved. He was a blasphemer, and he was a persecutor, and he was a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy, compassion, because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. There's other letters where it talks about how where sin increased, the grace of God increased even more. He said the grace of our Lord is more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And here's, the, here's what he says. It is a trustworthy statement. Deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is, why, this is what motivated the heart of God. This is why He came. He came to save sinners. And then He says, among whom I am foremost of all. Keep it on verse 15. Go back to that verse. Right here, we see gratitude enter into Christmas right here. We are not theoretical sinners. We have sinned against God. We are worthy of being punished for those sins. But God motivated by his great love for us, he was motivated, he sent good news to us in the form of this child, his only son. And when we embrace the gift God has given to us during Christmas, when we focus on the gift that God has given us through Christ, our ingratitude is cured. When we don't focus on that, it comes back. But when we're focused on that, it's cured. Paul went on to say in verse 16, he says, Yet for this reason I found mercy. And here's the reason. So that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example of, to those who would believe in him 
for eternal life. Now keep it here too. Paul was showed mercy because he was shown mercy because God wanted to use him as an example to you and to me and to everyone else that his grace is more than abundant. Look at what I did for him. Look at this man. I have perfect patience. I am showing compassion to the people that Ananias was afraid. God told him, I want you to go meet Saul and I want you to give him a message for us. And he's like, you want me to do what? You want me to go out to who? Do you know who that is? And God was like, no, tell me about him. I'm, I'm confused. Who is this? That's not what he said, actually. He said, of course I know who he is. I want you to go. But he went in faith. But he didn't want to go because he was a horrible person. But God is saying, because of him, I want you to see what great thing I have done so that you will believe in Jesus. So you will know how great my mercy is. Just like Jesus held the paralytic. He did that because he loved that guy and he wanted to bless him. But he also took that opportunity to show people, I have the power to not only heal you physically, and God does still do that. I have not only the power to do that, but I have the power to forgive your sins, which is what you really need even more than that. God wanted us to know that his mercy was real for us. We have a lot of reasons to be excited about this Christmas. I realize that life is tough, and we go through hard things. We lose people we love to to death. We go through sicknesses. We have strife in relationships. Work is just hard. I blame Adam and Eve for that. It wasn't originally designed that way. I think you and I would go in the garden, we'd still be in the garden because we're good people. (laughs) Oh, wait, maybe I just violated what I talked about. Work is hard. We live in a tough place. But we have a reason, one main reason, to be grateful this year. Jesus loves us. He came here to save us. And He not only wants to save you, but He wants to use you to reach into the lives of everyone in your circle of influence. He wants the aroma of Christ to exude from your life because you're so grateful. How are you so grateful right now? You just lost your job. You just went through this. You just went through that. Why do you have hope? Because I have Christ. I know that he loves me. I have been reconciled with God. You know, I say reconciled is a big word, but that's what we're talking about. I've been reconciled with him. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. I know God loves me and he will take care of me. We have been given the greatest gift ever. So we're going to finish this sermon this way. So we're going to, you know, sometimes it's good to stand up and stretch your legs. So tonight we're going to stand up. So go ahead and stand up. And we're going to read this next verse, verse 17, with excitement and enthusiasm. All right? Because Paul went through all this. He's like, dude, you guys don't even know how bad I was. Because there's stuff that I did that's not in the Scriptures, and it was worse than the stuff in the Scriptures. I am the worst of all sinners, is what he said about himself. I am the chief. I am the master of sinners. I have done terrible things. But look how great God's grace is. Look at what he's done for me. I am a sinner. I'm I'm no longer a sinner, but I am a saint. I am a child of God. Look at what he's done for me. And so he goes through this. For this reason, I found mercy in me in in the foremost, that Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for what? Eternal life. And then he says this. Here we go. Sing with with me. (laughs) Say it with me. Here we go. Now to the king eternal 
immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that exciting? Look how great of a, a testimony we have of what God has done for us. I've done bad things. I'm so grateful. It's not written down in too many places. But God knows every one of them. God knows every bad thought I've had, every action I've done. He knows everything bad about you. And he is still choosing to have a disposition of love for you. Not because he says, don't worry about it. You're a good guy. Your heart was in the right place. Those are all lies from the world. The truth is, all of the punishment that you and I deserve was put on Christ. And he took it. He took it for us. And so now we receive the greatest gift ever. He took our punishment so that we can have his righteousness, his holiness. We are no longer sinners, but we become his children. We become his saints. Does that get you excited? Does that stir gratitude in your heart that you have been redeemed? Does it make you want to read that verse one last time? Because it does me. All right, we're going to read it one more time. Ready? After all God has done, verse 17. Here we go. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that tonight when we are stuck in an attitude of, of bickering and complaining, that we, we were full of ungratefulness. God, remember, cause us to remember every morning is Christmas morning for us. If we are calling on Jesus as our Lord, every morning is an awakening to the fact that we have received the greatest gift that we have ever been given. You are the King. You are the only true God. You are our Savior. And may you receive glory and honor from our lives today, this Christmas, and every day from now until you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.